Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. And as we begin 2024, we've got a lot to catch up on, on what we've been catching up on. I'm Jeff Braun. I watched a couple of Oscar contenders over the last couple of weeks, and one of my cop shows came to an end this week. But how about we start with the movies and shows starting off the year? And there's just one new movie in theaters this week, Night Swim. It needs a little work, but I don't think it's going to last long at this price. There's a pool. I always wanted a pool. Are you sure you want this pool, though? So the movie stars Wyatt Russell, who currently co-stars alongside his father, Kurt Russell, in the same role, just in different timelines, in Apple TV Plus's Monarch Legacy of Monsters, and Carrie Condon, who I believe is in one of the movies you like in the last couple of years, The Banshees of Sharon. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's terrific in that. Uh, I think she got an Oscar nomination as well. She's a great actress. That's right. So in this movie, Night Swim, they move into a new home with their family, and as you heard, it has a pool. But since this is from Blumhouse, it's a scary pool. Here are the producers, James Wan and Jason Blum. We all have this inherent fear of being in the water. I think we should put in a pool cover. Even though in your mind you understand that the pool is only a few feet deep. Marco? Follow. And the lights go out. Anything could be beneath you. So the first movie of the year has been a scary now, scary movie now for years. Kind of like how there's typically a Marvel movie that kicks off the summer movie season. Well, it's usually a scary movie that kicks off the year. And last year was more of a scary, dark comedy, which was also from Blumhouse Productions. And that was Megan, or Mithrigan, if you want to read the title as it's spelled out M number three G-A-N. But that movie turned out to be a surprise smash hit and they're making a sequel for it so they must be hoping to continue that trend with Night Swim My kids have seen things and I'm worried something is happening to my husband Dad I've been looking for you There has to be some way to stop this Marco So, I mean, this wouldn't be a scary movie without a malevolent dark force from the home's past. But even in the trailer, I'm really impressed with some of the tension that they managed to kind of allow to just play out. Marco. Hello. <laughs> Marco. Hello. <laughs> Marco. I, I hear you. I think this movie looks great. It's based on a short film from 2014, an apparently acclaimed short film. So here's hoping the feature film adaptation doesn't take a dive. Marco. <laughs> I'm not even going into my tub for the next week. Thanks, Brett. <laughs> 
Uh, I, I, as long as we've been doing this show for close to 20 years now, Ugh. you love it when I when I preview the scary movies, don't you? Oh, I do. Uh, it's just wild. And how many times have you seen this trailer? Because you go to more movies than no, I do. No, this one I haven't seen at all. Really? Yeah, I've been lucky that I guess I haven't gone to an R-rated movie, perhaps. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I get just the worst. <laughs> just, oh, the son of Cronenberg had one last year, the year before. With that, uh, with the son of Stellan Skarsgård. Oh yeah, Infinity Pool. Speaking okay. of pools, that trailer is messed up, and that thing gave me nightmares. And I saw that thing like five times. Oh, that was geez. brutal. Yeah, one of our uh, friends and colleagues, he he has a fear of open water, thanks to the movie Jaws. Yeah, and he said this is going to ruin swimming pools for me. <laughs> So then I'll have nothing. Yeah. And, and but maybe I maybe should mention the bathtub to him as well. <laughs> but uh, so hopefully that that movie's good. There's also on television. There's a rather interesting series coming to Disney Plus next week on Tuesday. Echo, exclusively on Hulu and Disney Plus. Kingpin, thanks you for your loyalty. Viewer discretion is advised. On January 9th. All five episodes. One killer drop. I wouldn't have it any other way. Don't miss Marvel's most intense series yet. Enough games! If you want a war, you'll have it. Marvel Studios Echo. All episodes streaming January 9th at 6 p.m. PT. Set your Disney Plus profile to TVMA to stream. So Echo is a spinoff from the Disney Marvel show Hawkeye from 2021, which featured as a bad guy, Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, with Vincent D'Onofrio reprising the role he played so wonderfully in the Netflix Daredevil series. In the Hawkeye show, one of his top hench people is Maya Lopez, who is an indigenous Latin American woman with... Well, from the comics, they describe her as somebody with photographic reflexes, which is something the Taskmaster also possesses. And I don't know if you saw the Black Widow movie, but uh, did you see the Black Widow movie, Jeff? I did see the Black Widow movie, but I don't remember hardly any of it. Yeah, the Taskmaster had this ability to essentially like mimic whatever you're doing, like instantly adapt to your fighting style. (laughs) I don't remember that about Echo or about Maya Lopez in the Hawkeye show, although I don't really remember much about that show, (laughs) except for the musical number, I can do this all day, the the Captain America one. But uh, anyway, so she eventually turns on, oh, and she's deaf. Did I mention that? She's deaf. She eventually turns on Kingpin, and now she is a crusader. And the Kingpin is after her. Looks gritty. Looks violent. I find it interesting that they're dropping all five episodes at once on Tuesday night because they never do this with pretty much anything on Disney+, Plus, especially their Marvel or Star Wars shows. It feels to me almost like they're dumping it. I've heard all sorts of problems with this. Reshoots galore, creative differences, infighting. That could all be a bunch of BS because I've seen some positive early reviews, but there's nothing, as we record this on Thursday, there's nothing yet on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but after the failure of one of their shows last year, Secret Invasion, I'm guessing they probably 
maybe don't have confidence in this and they just want to get it out of the way as soon as possible and put it in the rearview mirror. Their most recent show, though, What If Season 2 was great for the most part, so we can discuss that a little bit later today. But, yeah, you're going to watch this, Echo? I am going to watch this, Echo. I mean, I'm still at the point where I'll watch all the Marvel stuff no matter what kind of a deal. So I'll look into this. It does uh, look interesting. Um, Yeah, the five episodes all at once. I almost wonder if it's because if it has to do with... uh, the Star Wars show, the Andor, because that was a bit more of a grown-up show, mm-hmm. and but the ratings weren't very good apparently. So maybe they're thinking, well, we'll get this, the you know the older audience for this too, but we're not going to have a ton of kids watching it. So why don't we just dump it all at once and, like you said, get it over with? Because we don't need this. Isn't bringing going to bring in a bunch of new subscriptions for February or March or anything like that? So. That's true, and then it's a far more optimistic appraisal of my. You know, I'm I'm like I went straight to the, like the doomsday <laughs> prophecy on uh, what they're doing you here, right. but yours <laughs> seems more sensible, and yeah, that makes sense. Because if it if it plays more like a movie, five episodes, Disney episodes are typically thirty to maybe forty minutes. Hard to tell because the credits are so <laughs> extra extra long on the streaming services sometimes. Yeah, so maybe this will be like two and a half hours and then it's just sort of like a like yeah. a gritty action movie. So yeah, I don't know. We'll just wait to see it. We'll tell you next week, I guess, because we'll <laughs> at least have watched a couple of them yeah. with it starting Tuesday night. Uh, I certainly won't get through all five of them on Tuesday night because no. it's not going to launch until 8 p.m. our time here in Winnipeg. Tuesday nights I'm busy anyway, so I'll maybe watch two on Wednesday. Yeah, I'll try to watch at least a couple and we'll report back in next week. And up next, one of Jeff's favorite shows, well, 2.0, I guess. Weird scheduling issues. Uh, I've got something to say about that. All right, that's coming up next. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and it was never a year-end top ten show for me, but a show I have watched for the past five years ended this week. It's the reboot of Magnum P.I. Yeah, I didn't even look for a clip of people talking or anything. It's an <laughs> all-timer in the history of TV themes, and uh, we won't get to listen to it anymore, apparently. So I wanted to play that there. Magnum P.I. was a reboot, of course, of the very popular 80s show starring Tom Selleck. And frankly, he made all the difference. Jay Hernandez, who starred in the reboot, was good, but he's no Tom Selleck, especially in the humor department. Selleck, of course, has comedy chops, and that added to his immense charm. He was the reason people tuned in every week. I was a kid when that was on. I thought he was cool. My mom and grandma watched every week because they thought he was hot. Everybody loved Magnum. The new series, more of a group effort, not without its charms as well, though. It ran for four years on CBS, then it got canceled, then got picked up by NBC for one final season, which concluded this week. Uh, It was a typical, you know, CBS police procedural show um, with a bit more of a fun, laid-back kind of vibe, I would think, than, you know, your CSIs or whatever. And then there was the Hawaii of it all. I've said before that, you know, like half the draw for me was the scenery, which was always just gorgeous. The final 
Two episodes aired this week, which was weird scheduling. I mean, you couldn't get that in before Christmas, but I think they maybe did it because of the strikes or whatever. Uh, The season technically began last February. They had 10 episodes, took an eight-month break, aired eight more, and then took a a few weeks off and aired the last two this week. Uh, And I don't think when they shot the finale, they knew it was going to be the finale because, well, for one thing, I read a report saying they had been writing a sixth season while they were doing the fifth season. And then the last episode, it played like a season finale not a series finale nevertheless everyone was you know happy at the end so it works with one weird criminal related plot thread still hanging out there and there were some secondary characters they definitely would have brought back for the final scene if nothing else that were absent altogether from these last two episodes again not a top 10 show but it was a cozy cob hangout show for the last five years that checked a few of my boxes and i'm gonna miss magnum pi brett you do like the hawaii shows I do. so you you uh, loved lost which yep. was in Hawaii. True. You love Survivor, which not Hawaii, but tropical setting. Absolutely. And uh, does that mean you need Five-O. a new Hawaii Five O? Of course. Yeah. Which I dropped. Uh, I got a bit silly after a while, but I did watch it for three or four seasons, and then Magnum picked up the torch, and away we went. And so, do you have any Hawaii shows right now? No, we still got Survivor. Well, you got it. I mean, season three of NCIS Hawaii. Navy cops, cops investigating stuff in Hawaii. It oh. uh, looks like that's set to debut on uh, February 12th. Might that's to, on uh, Global. Might have to get into that. I did. I, re- I remember saying when I was watching Hawaii Five O, I was like, wow, this is a staggering amount of machine gun violence in Honolulu. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it's a you know it's an American city, so there's going to be violence or whatever, but. Marauding gangs with machine guns on a weekly basis? I can't imagine that's the case. That would be bad for tourism. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, sorry to hear that one of your, your shows uh, yeah. got is, is over and maybe didn't really get to play out the way they were hoping it would. But uh, I also wanted to mention this, that I finally got around to watching a movie I should have gone to see on a big screen over the summer. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Miles, being Spider-Man is a sacrifice. You have a choice between saving one person and saving every world. I can do both! You can't run forever, kid! We are supposed to be the good guys. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. All stations, stop Spider-Man! You know it, me? You know Exclusively in cinemas. So it's the follow-up to 2018's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Both movies are now on Crave. They both debuted in December. The first one was a big hit. It earned $384 million worldwide. The second one was a huge hit, earning $690 million worldwide, one of the biggest superhero films of the year. They are animated movies, so not part of the MCU. This is just from Sony. And these movies feature the other Spider-Man, not Peter Parker. It's Miles Morales. Although the whole point of these movies is there are a lot of other Spider-Mans and Spider-Womans, Spider-People, Spider-Animals. We had Spider-Ham in the first one, for example. The first one introduces us to the Spider-Verse, which means, yes, it's yet another multiverse saga. But in that movie, we meet a handful of other Spider-Heroes. And in this new one, we meet a whole lot of them, led by Spider-Man 2099, voiced by Oscar Isaac, who eventually determines Miles Morales needs to be stopped. So, with the help of a few friendly neighborhood Spideys, he tries to make his escape. That's all you really need to know about the plot. Like, if you've seen the first one, you probably loved it. 
or you couldn't make sense of it. So if you couldn't make sense of that one, you definitely will not make sense of this new one. I found myself in the Loved It camp for the first one. It was tremendous fun. It had wild animation, like nothing I'd ever seen. It's a major departure from typical Hollywood animation, and it seems to have ushered in a new era for animated creativity on the big screen, which is great. As for the second one, I loved it too. Although I would suggest it's too long. Yeah, it's only two hours, 20 minutes, which is shorter than many movies being made today, but that's too long for a cartoon, especially one with an animation style as frenetic as this movie. It's just like this bombardment to your senses, and after a while, you just want to tap out. And it's only a part one. The second part of the story will come with Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse, which was originally due at the end of March, but now, who knows, could be come out later this year more likely 2025 from what I'm hearing and reading. Overall, though, I would give Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse four couch cushions of five, and again, you can watch both of them on Crave. Have you seen either of these, Have Jeff? not yet seen either of them, but I'm, I've, I've, I want to see both of them, and I've, uh, every time someone talks about them, I get excited about it, and then I just don't watch them, so sooner or later, I will get around to it. Well, and it's one of those things where you might just forget, right? Like uh, somebody mentioned just today, they, they recently watched Gran Turismo, and uh, I, keep, I keep forgetting that that movie even exists, but everyone <laughs> I know who's seen it says it's great. So that's something really? i got to go out of my way to check out. Up next, Jeff checked out a couple of Oscar contenders. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. I watched two new movies this week, one at home, one in theaters, and I think they're the same movie, although one was quite a bit better than the other. I'm talking about Bradley Cooper's Maestro and Michael Mann's Ferrari. Both are biopics about men who did great things in their chosen field and led personal lives that were messy and chaotic and how their poor put-upon wives had to deal with all the crap that came with it. Let's start with Maestro, a Netflix movie about conductor and composer Leonard Bernstein. If summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. And if nothing sings in you, then you can't make music. Something she told me. Hello, I'm Lenny. Hello, Felicia. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, Tell me about her. Oh, it. she's wonderful. She's a lovely girl. What age are we living in? One can be as free as one likes without guilt or confession. Please, I know exactly who you are. Maestro is Bradley Cooper's second effort as a director, his first being 2018's A Star is Born, which was a really good movie, good enough to vault Cooper into the discussion of great modern-day directors. And I think Maestro keeps him in that conversation, even though it's not as good, because there are scenes and moments in Maestro that are really amazing, but in the end, I don't really know what it all adds up to. It's a biopic that kind of glosses over his work. There's a 15-year time jump that skips over uh, you know, him writing West Side Story, for example, and focuses on him trying to juggle his family life, his affairs with a variety of men in his orbit, and I guess it's supposed to play in sort of a tormented genius kind of way, but frankly, he mostly seems like a jerk. His wife is played wonderfully by Carrie Mulligan. She learns to live with a man who's only interested in her sometimes, but is the father of her three children and is someone she truly cares for. It's very hard for her, as you would expect, and Mulligan gives the best performance in the movie. Cooper, meantime, is really going for it, and he's got this big fake prosthetic nose, and the voice he uses 
loses, it's sometimes hard to decide if he's really pulling it off or if he's just driven off a cliff into caricature. The filmmaking is sublime at times. It starts in black and white and switches to color. He also uses different aspect ratios. And there clearly is not a frame that wasn't really labored over. Good stuff, not too overly showy most of the time, but also a very clear, hey, look at how good a director I am kind of vibe. But again, with a lot of great individual scenes and moments, the overall kind of leaves you wanting. I appreciate Cooper, you know, trying something different than a standard biopic that shows everything from the cradle to the grave, but he kind of tries to have it both ways, focusing on several short periods, but also trying to make it definitive. And for me, it just didn't totally come together. I think it is worth a watch, though, especially for Mulligan. And again, it is on Netflix, Maestro. Uh, you can check it out there. Ferrari, on the other hand, also focuses on a short period of Enzo Ferrari, the car maker's life. It does not try, though, to come off as the definitive story of his life. It seems more like just a chapter. And that sort of makes sense as the director, Michael Mann, has a lot more experience than Bradley Cooper and has also made a lot of biopics before, so he kind of knows the pitfalls. And because of Mann's steady hand and the focused lead performances, I would say Ferrari feels very self-assured. If you get into one of my cars, you get in the wind. It's set in the late 50s. Enzo Ferrari, played by Adam Driver, has already had his car company up and running for a decade. He makes sports cars for the public in an effort to finance his racing team, and he's obsessed with winning. I imagine most people in car racing are. He has a wife, played by Penelope Cruz, who helps run the business, but their marriage is strained. It already was. Then they lost a son, and that made it worse. Enzo also has, well, he says she's not a mistress, but she's a lady he'd definitely been with for at least a decade who's not his wife. As evidenced by the house he bought her and the son they had together, she's played by Shailene Woodley, and I honestly cannot tell you if she's supposed to be Italian or American. It's kind of a bad performance in a movie otherwise filled with great performances. Uh, Penelope Cruz, for example, is terrific. Again, like in Maestro, she's the wife that has to put up with all her husband's crap because he's a tortured genius. And of course, the car racing is Ferrari's biggest concern, and that's where uh, Michael Mann gets to show off. There's some really exciting racing scenes in the movie. There is also one truly horrific crash scene. I gotta say if you've lost someone close to you in a car crash, this movie might be a little much. It is that graphic. Uh, on the one hand, you know, it's hard to watch. On the other hand, it's probably a good thing not to sugarcoat the horror that that sort of thing can be. Uh, this is so far, I think, Adam Driver's best performance. I thought he pulled off the Italian of it all, but apparently some Italian critics disagree with that assessment. He definitely pulls off, you know, the weight of the troubles on Ferrari's mind, body, and soul. His screen presence is very significant. There's a lot of on-screen movement in the movie and between driver and man even something as would seems as banal as you know Enzo Ferrari getting out of a car uh, it carries a lot of weight it's it's kind of really good filmmaking there I, I think he's legit in the Oscar race too although it's probably still Killian Murphy's to lose for Oppenheimer as far as best actor goes uh, the movie Ferrari great stuff I think with one not great performance again four couch cushions out of five and uh, I would actually rejig my year and top ten to include it if we were doing that but we're not really Maestro not so much I'll give that one three couch cushions out of five uneven with some brilliant flourishes as far as undercover boss goes with Adam Driver would you rather see a sketch with Enzo Ferrari as the undercover boss or Kylo Ren? Oh, yeah. Because no Saturday Night Live did that, right? 
The Kylo Ren one. Yeah. 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 Adam Driver played Kylo Ren as the <laughs> undercover <right>. boss. <laughs> um, I don't know. I would not want to screw up in front of either of them. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Ferrari spends a lot of time in that movie chastising the people that work for him. Okay. That's well, good stuff. I'm glad to hear because uh, I've been considering both of those. But uh, yeah, that Ferrari looks pretty cool. And Adam Driver, when I saw the trailer for that, I thought, holy smokes. Like, I know this guy can act. Yeah. But he transforms in that film. Um, and some great... Inter- Bradley Cooper has done some pretty cool interviews on that on the late-night talk shows on Maestro and yeah. the stuff he went through to try to figure out just how to even mimic a conductor. It sounds like it was pretty tough and, and uh, sort of exhausting, but a great creative endeavor for him. want to just follow up on something we mentioned earlier. So we, we told you that Echo is coming out on Tuesday, the next Marvel show on Disney+. Plus. Five, all five episodes are dropping, and it's coming pretty quickly after their previous television effort, which is What If Season 2. You thought the story was over, but it was only just beginning. I don't do sequels, normally, but things have gotten a little twisted in the multiverse. Who is this handsome dog? So what if the first season came out in 2021 on Disney Plus? It's animated, and it's they've been doing what if comics in Marvel for for years and years and years and years. And it's essentially sort of standalone stories. They just pose the question, what if this happened instead of that? How would that play out? And what if, for example, Peggy Carter got into the super soldier chamber instead of Steve Rogers? Well, she he doesn't become Captain America. She becomes Captain Carter. So that's what they do. But uh, the, the first season, and they do this again in the second season, some of the episodes are standalone, and some of them are sort of interconnected, and they've even incorporated some of them into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, we actually saw a live-action version of Captain Carter in Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. So, yes, this is another multiverse thing, where these things are actually happening somewhere in the multiverse, some of them we just get one story, and it's great. Like the first episode of season two is what if Nebula joined the Nova Corps? So the Nova Corps, that's the police force or the military force on the planet Xandar, uh, uh, which was in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. That's, that's where they pick up the Guardians. Yeah. And then take them to their prison in the middle of space. So anyway, Nebula joins the Nova Corps. And it's actually really cool, this particular episode, because it, it it's very much an homage to Blade Runner. Hmm. The, the, the aesthetics and the storytelling style. And I, a few of these episodes are, are paying tribute to films like the third episode. What if Happy Hogan saved Christmas? So Happy Hogan is played by John Favreau in the movies. And he... It's kind of plays out like Die Hard. Oh, really? Yeah, sort of. Uh, There's another one. What if Peter Quill attacked Earth's mightiest heroes? So Peter Quill, of course, is Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy. But what if he came back to Earth as a little kid 
having already learned that he is a demigod and has all kinds of cosmic powers, what would happen if he came back? So then we got to see uh, like a younger Hank Pym voiced once again by Michael Douglas. And uh, so that was pretty cool. And a lot of the voice, like you heard in the clip, Jeff Goldblum, like they, they managed to retain a lot of the major voice actors in this. Kate Blanchett came back to replay Hela from right Thor on. Ragnarok. She was an awesome villain. But yeah, the Grandmaster episode, what if Iron Man crashed into the Grandmaster? Terrific episode. But then the, 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 the sort of, the coolest one for me was the sixth episode, what if Kahori reshaped the world? And this is, they, this is the first character they've created for the MCU. I was going to say, who's Kahori? Yeah, she's an in, she's an indigenous character, and what that was really cool about it is they worked with the Mohawk peoples of the United States to get this right, and she essentially ends up absorbing power from the Tesseract and does some pretty cool stuff with it. She can run really fast and she can open portals, but she's awesome. And the whole, pretty much the entire episode is in her language. So I think that that is pretty cool. So if you want to watch the episodes, they're mostly great. I think it gets a little messy towards the end of the season. It's nine episodes in total. But uh, if you want just standalone Marvel stuff and you don't want to worry about getting too far in the weeds, as far as all how all these stories weave together, this might be the way to go. Up next, Jeff forgot something on his top 10 TV of 2023. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We're going to get to what Jeff left off of his top 10 in a moment. I just forgot to mention that the voice actor who plays Kahori, the indigenous character in season two of What If, the Marvel show on Disney, uh, her name is Devery Jacobs, and she is a Canadian Mohawk actress. So just got to acknowledge. Right on. Uh, yeah, like you said, I screwed up my top 10 TV shows of the year list. I left something off that actually might have been my number one. One. It's a stand-up comedy special from comedian Nate Bargatze that came out on Prime Video last year called Hello World. My mom wanted a koi pond. So for Mother's Day, we were like, we're going to build it for you. And so we got all the stuff and got shovels, and we started digging the hole for it. And I don't know if you've ever dug a hole before, but it's maybe the hardest thing you ever do in your life. <laughs> you see it on TV and movies, and it's like, I'll just dig this hole real fast. And then you do it in real life, it's like, I guess it's all CGI, because it's impossible. <laughs> it's so hard that it made me realize this is why so many people get caught when they kill someone with a shallow grave. <laughs> That's how hard digging a hole is. Even if you're digging the most important hole of your life. <laughs> you hit a point of just like, all right, that's good enough right there, boys. Yeah. Mm. Might be too deep. Nate Bargatze has a few great stand-up specials on Netflix, and last year he went to Prime Video for that one, and he slays for an hour. Uh, I've watched it four times and laughed myself hoarse each time. Great stuff. And he's a clean comic, so you can watch it regardless of who's in the room. Check it out. It's Hello World from Nate Bargatze on Prime Video. Another thing I wanted to bring up right here at the end of the show, we didn't get a chance to talk about a movie that came out on Netflix in mid-December because we had our year-end stuff going on. Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, Kevin Bacon, and Mahershala Ali star in Leave the world behind. We were driving back to the city, then something happened. You want to stay here, but we're staying here. We need to get them out of here. I need to think everything's going to be okay. 
Everything is gonna be okay, isn't it? We are seeing ongoing cyber attacks across the country. Something is happening and I don't trust them. Everything I know, I have told you. I don't believe you. I would do anything to protect my family. What you do is your business. Leave the World Behind comes from Sam Esmail, the man behind the show, Mr. Robot. It's based on a novel he did not write. Uh, he did add a bunch of stuff, apparently. And it's about a family on vacation in the countryside when something very bad in the world happens and they try to figure out what it is. The internet is down. They go to the beach. A giant cargo ship uh, beaches itself right in front of their eyes. The animals are all acting weird. And then the homeowners of the home they've been renting show up, saying they had to get out of the city but not offering up any more specifics. And they and we are all trying to suss out what's going on they also have to deal with the, you know, not knowing. Is it an invasion? Is it a civil war? Is it aliens? Some horrible natural disaster? What's going on? Who knows? But everyone's reactions are what the movie is really about. And it's a not very subtle allegory to how we cope with things like the pandemic and other monumental bad news events. The ending is bang on and incredibly frustrating. If you've not seen it, you may have heard from someone who did that the ending sucks. I agree. It's not a satisfying ending as far as the storytelling goes, but I would also say it's a pretty perfect ending for the story they are telling. I even heard an interview with Esmail where he agreed that it had been a, had it been a theatrical movie, the ending would have been tough. No one likes paying $15 to leave a theater frustrated, but he figured since it was on Netflix, he could get away with it. And he has in the sense that it's a movie that makes you think about it a lot after you've seen it. There's definitely a discussion to be had, so it's interesting in that regard. Uh, and also kudos to Julia Roberts uh, for being willing to play a character who who's kind of a jerk in this thing. Not any, you know, hero stuff here from her point of view, but a pretty realistic portrayal, I think, of a certain type of person in that certain type of situation. Three couch cushions out of five for Leave the World Behind on Netflix. I give, as I haven't seen this movie, but I give Esmail credit for making that decision. I mean, we saw his creative... He's a creative guy with yeah. Mr. Robot. He made some pretty wacky choices throughout that series. But... Sometimes the the happy ending or the the the, the good ending isn't the best ending. I no. think of the way that season one of Twenty Four ended, and uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but it ends in with tragedy. Mm -hmm. They had an alternate ending where it didn't end that way, and they had it like that scene on the DVDs, and that it, it would have just been one of those where it's like okay it's over cuz that the gimmick with that show is it plays up 24 hours but yeah. in this instance with the ending they went with it played out so dramatic it was so powerful it meant so much more to that character to that show and it was a gut punch and i applauded them for making that decision because they could have gone with the happy ending and it would have sucked for the character, for the show, for anybody who spent 24 hours watching it. So. 24 walks so Sam Esmail could run. There you go. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs>